The wisdom of experts can change your life. As a co-chair at the University of Texas, you've attained this elite status from growing and evolving over the course of your coaching career. In our Learning from Experts podcast, exclusively for the head coaches here at the University of Texas, we're going to accelerate that process. You'll hear from world-class coaches, sports psychologists, and successful people. And occasionally, it's the wisdom that impacts other areas of your life, like your health or your marriage. But here's something really important to appreciate. Timing. Hearing something at exactly the right time makes all the difference. Sometimes it's repetition. Hearing a concept multiple times until it resonates with you. So buckle up. This week's Learning from the Experts is about to begin. Hey, coaches. John Mitchell here. Hey, I hope you're doing well. So this coming week, we're going to hear from Tim Kite. A lot of you know Tim, but if you don't, he's arguably the top mental coach in the country. For years, he was a mental coach for the Ohio State football team and won a national championship there. And in 2022, Tim took over the USC football program under Lincoln Riley. And after going four and eight the prior year, in Tim's first year, first year, he changed the record to 11 and three, using his mental approach for performance and culture building. And if that wasn't good enough, he recently took over the mental side of the game for the NHL hockey team, Boston Bruins, who were the best team in the NHL this past regular season. Bottom line, Tim is brilliant. Listen for how he explains that most coaches don't have a system for teaching the mental side of the game. You'll also learn the five decisions that every athlete has to make in order to go to the next level. Listen for how Tim also talks about embracing the edge. The edge. Do you know what the edge is? It's where talent ends and elite performance begins. This week, we also heard from Darren Hardy on the correct scoreboard of success. And here's the essence of what you're gonna learn this week. Performance in life, as well as happiness in life, comes down to what's going on in your head on an ongoing basis. And you need a system, yes, a system in order to have the right things going on in your head on an ongoing basis. So let's listen to the legendary mental coach, Tim Kite, and be aware of a new feature of our Learning From Experts program. After each piece of content, I'm gonna take two minutes or so and recap the top three takeaways. I think you'll find them valuable. So again, don't turn off the podcast until you hear my recap of those top three takeaways. And remember, as a coach here at the University of Texas, hey, you're living the dream. So, Tim, thank you for joining us on our Learning from Experts program, which is exclusively for the head coaches at the University of Texas. And so, Tim, let me explain to our coaches how we met. So about three years ago, I got to know the athletic director at the University of Texas, Chris Dokani. And as I was getting to know him, I mentioned that in my opinion, 
that greater athletic performance was not going to come from better weight training or, or nutrition. It's going to come from upping the mental side of the game. And so as I talk to him about that, I, I uh, suggest that we at the University of Texas embrace the idea of becoming the gold standard for mental training and conditioning. So with that as our mission, I decided to go meet the top people in the world on the topic. And so the first one I went to meet was Michael Gervais with the Seattle Seahawks, who I'm sure you know, right? Mm -hmm. I know Michael, yes. And then the second one was legendary Trevor Moad, the mental coach at the University of Alabama for Nick Saban. And I, you probably know him as well or knew him. I do, yeah. And he has, he has since passed away. Um, I know. Just a great, great guy. Yeah, did a lot of work with Georgia. And, right. And, right? Mm -hmm. right, right. And then I met you, the mental coach essentially for Ohio State. And as I would meet each person and establish a relationship, I would then schedule a Zoom call with CDC for, for each of you guys to meet him as well. And, you know, candidly, as, as good as the other two were, to me, you were the most impressive of the three because you had an actual system for what you were teaching. And so with that introduction, why don't you just tell our coaches essentially what you do? Well, first of all, John, thank you for having me uh, on this podcast, on this, on this, uh, whatever we're calling this, that we're doing this conversation, really. Right. And, uh, and I'm very flattered. I appreciate you, uh, the words you spoke, uh, very gracious of you. Uh, our firm is called Focus 3 because we help our clients focus on three things, and that is leadership, culture, and what we call behavioral or mental discipline. And what we found, uh, and I've been doing this for, for 40 years, and what we found is that leaders create culture, culture drives behavior, and behavior produces results. And that's the, what we call the performance pathway. And its application to athletics is, frankly, direct, immediate, and, and rather profound. Because, um, and I've been saying this for years, average coaches have quotes Good coaches have a plan. Elite coaches have a system. And work with a number of athletic programs in various levels and different men's and women's and, and, and not just football. And, and everyone understands that, yes, mental state affects physical performance. Everybody understands that to some extent. I don't think that most coaches, however, to your point, have a systematic approach to teaching the mental side of the game. Now, I think there's a great increase in the hiring of sports psychologists, and that's awesome. But yes, you have to have a systematic approach to teaching the mental performance element of the game. But secondly, or a part of that, you've got to create a culture inside your athletic, your, your team, that supports the mental side of the game and supports the kind of effort and execution and trust relationships that are essential for winning at the highest levels of sports. And then thirdly, you've got to build leadership. And that is a system for leadership. So leadership among coaches, leadership among players. And this becomes critical because, again, to, to quote something that we talk about all the time, and that is average teams, no one leads good teams. The coaches lead on elite teams. The players lead. You know, a, a, a pro, pro team I work with, the, uh, the Boston Bruins, the National Hockey League, I work with a number of their players, and playoffs start tonight and the, the, for NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and the Bruins this year 
broke seven or eight NHL records. Um, most wins in a season, most points in a season, longest uh, winning streaks, most uh, uh, away game streaks, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the reasons they were so successful, this is the most player-led hockey team I've ever been around. Because these players n- understand how to lead, and they've got older guys on the team, and, and uh, it, it's been awesome to see. So it's really about, John, helping coaches and their staffs and their players become elite leaders to build an elite culture, to have elite mental and, and behavioral performance both on and off the field, the court, the, the, the pool, et cetera. Right, right. Wow, that is powerful. You know, it, it reminds me of, I met uh, Jimmy Johnson a number of years ago, and he says you have to train the mind to lead the body rather than 100%. the body lead the mind. 100%. Yep. Yep. I don't know if I've heard him say that, but I believe it. I've said it myself. I can't tell how many times the last 40 years. You've got to train your mind to train your body. There's no question about it. Mental, right. state, mental state affects physical performance. It, and I, I say this all the time to, my, to all of our athletic clients. If you're mentally distracted, you're physically diminished. Right. If you right. are mentally distracted, you are physically diminished. And may I add, the distractions today for collegiate athletes are legion. And so the ability to focus on what matters and filter out the rest is a superpower. Well, and you know, it's, it's easy to understand that if you let the, the tired body lead the mind, the results are not going to be very good. You know, the, the one, I know you teach this, this to businesses as, as well. And yes. when I got to know Trevor Moad, you know, he said something that was really fascinating. I loved your take on this. He said that he really didn't want to stay in athletics because athletics was so far behind where sort of business is in terms of the mental side of the game. Did you buy that? What's, what's your take on that? Uh, you know, there's a big movement in business today for mindfulness, emotional intelligence. They call right. it lots of different things. Uh, I think the business challenge is that, you know, what, if you play a sport today, the, the, the mental edge that you have to have, the mental discipline that you have to have is very focused. It's very definitive. You know, there's a race you're running. There's a ball you're hitting. The ball that you're catching. There's, there's you know, all the things you got to do in, in athletics. It's extremely – take hockey. I mean, it's fast. It's physical. It's unbelievably demanding on the body. Um, so you, the, the business approach, I think there's a lot more involved in, in business, yes. But I don't think the business people – push their folks to be as tough in a competitive way as I see in athletics. It's all over the place, but I don't, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure business is ahead. I get what he's saying or what he said, but I, I'm not sure that the, the business world is as advanced as maybe that suggests. Well, you know, I think what he was getting at is, is, you know, he's famous for his quote of don't say stupid shit. You ever hear him say that? Oh, yeah. You know, and, oh, yeah. and he was yeah. saying that the reason, as elementary as that is, is, is from research out of Harvard, that what you say out loud is 10 times more powerful than what you think. And they just got to the point in, in Alabama, at Alabama where they, their attitude was, okay, we can't get them to do a lot of the mindset things we'd like them to do, but if we can just get them to not say stupid shit out loud, then yeah. we're way ahead. 
And, well, but, it, 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 may I add, John, that anything that someone says out loud, they've said to themselves inside silently many, many, many times. So whatever I say out loud, it was inside my head first. And this is a, this is a neuroscientific fact. Emotion feeds on verbal input. Right. Emotion feeds on verbal input. If you talk negative, you'll feel negative and you'll underperform. It's right. just, and, and the vast majority of people on our planet, athletes included, have, have some degree of awareness of the importance of self-talk and that internal narrative, but they haven't been trained. And you've got to train the mind. You've got to train. You've got to be very aware, number one, of how you're talking to yourself. You have to be aware of how that self-talk is feeding your emotions. And you have to understand how those emotions or your mental state is affecting your physical performance. And you've got to grab a hold of that, of the, the discipline. And we talk about two ways to go about anything in athletics. There's a line in life. And above the line is discipline and below the line is default. Right. And discipline is self-talk and, and mental behavior and, or a mental state and physical behavior that is intentional, purposeful, and skillful. That's, that's discipline. And default is impulsive on autopilot and resistant. And I say to all of the teams that I work with and all the businesses I work with, I just got off the phone with one of the top 10 accounting firms in the country that's going to hire us to do this for them. And the answer is this, discipline wins, default loses. Yeah. And it, be, it begins in the mind. So big message to everybody, don't feed emotions that undermine your performance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that every action you take requires a decision, and that decision is always emotional, and then it's supported in the next, like, 50 milliseconds with uh, the logic, right? Yeah, that's, that's the, uh, again, if you think of the, the, the discipline over default, discipline's intentional. Default's is, is impulsive. Right. And, and all impulse is, is undisciplined emotion. Right, right. Good point. Good point. Well, I know you're, you began working with USC last year when Lincoln Riley took over the program. Just talk about that. What, what are you doing with USC? Yeah, we, they've installed our system. Now, we do leadership development for coaches and players. We do culture development for the team. And we do the, the mental training, the behavioral training. And the system we use, John, I think you know for the mental side is, is this very simple and powerful equation, E plus R equals O, which stands for event plus response equals outcome. And the, it's the single, this is so interesting to me. And, and again, I just, I'm so passionate about this. It's a, it's a mission. And I, so we don't control events. We do control how we choose to respond. And the way we respond is what produces outcomes. Right. E plus R equals O. And the O that you get, the outcome you get is determined by the R that you choose. And if you want a better O, you got to choose a better R. Listen sometime to a sport broadcast of a team, uh, of a game, and, and football in particular, and listen to how many times the commentators, unbeknownst that they're actually tapping into some of this, say, okay, how are they going to respond? You know, there's a, there was a chunk play. You give up a long pass. You, you know, you, you have a turnover. You make a mistake, or you're, you're down at halftime. You come back out, or the quarterback throws a pick, and, what do they say? Well, let's see how they're going to respond. And so what, we've, what I've, I've, I've spent 40 years studying and documenting how elite competitors manage the R differently than average people. And you have at, a... the end of, at the end of the day, the ease that we get, the events that we get are relatively the same. 
And so you like, have a, a system for for managing the response for, for absolutely. We've identified six specific mental disciplines to manage the R in an elite fashion. Right. So you know this is interesting. Obviously, Lincoln Riley was very successful at Oklahoma. He leaves Oklahoma, and I think if you told me, if I remember right, like within a month or two of taking that job, he calls you and he says, I want to bring you in to USC. So what did you bring to the table that he didn't have before? The system for leadership, culture, and behavior. So he, he, how did he hear about you? Here did he, how did he sort of come to realize, boy, I need uh, Tim Kite? Uh, Lincoln had heard about me from some of his staff coaches at Oklahoma. And I had done a number of Zoom sessions for them during COVID. Couldn't go on campus, couldn't do all that kind of stuff. And he had had a number of speakers that had come in, you know, helped them through whatever Zoom, that kind of stuff, which I think is pretty standard. Coaches uh, tend to have speakers come in. And I'm, I'm a big believer in establish your system. I, I don't know that, that a series of speakers necessarily creates the kind of consistency and focus that true discipline requires. And, and so they had had me come in and speak on what I call the edge, which is part of our R-factor thing. And uh, I, it really resonated with his staff, and it really resonated with the strength coach, and it resonated with him. And, but COVID prevented us from doing anything truly systematic. And so when, when, um, when he got the job at USC, he, he understood there was a major cultural turnaround necessary. USC had fallen into a pretty um, – uh, a, a pretty difficult times culturally as a program. Right. And, and he knew that, that that cultural turnaround was, was critical to, the, to, to, to his strategy. And so he asked for my help. And, and, I got a, and I'm a UCLA grad to boot. I was a track athlete at UCLA. And so working yeah. with USC had interesting emotional, I say that tongue in cheek these days, you know, people, people joke, Hey, Tim Kite's in the transfer portal. Apparently. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. well, I, you know, I was just reading about you and that, that back when you were in college, you, you went to UCLA and got to know John Wooten. So I was saying, boy, that's uh, coming home for you, isn't it? Sort of. Well, yeah, John Wooden was, uh, was my mentor actually, right. uh, in, informally. I, I was a track athlete there. I had been fortunate enough in high school to be the national champion of my track event and then went to Ohio State in my freshman year, then transferred to UCLA. And the locker room for track was in the same building as basketball. And I got to meet Coach Wooden on a number of occasions, uh, once in the training room and some other places. And we just got to talking and, and uh, he was instrumental in, in just challenging me to think through what I wanted to do for a living. And, and me observing him, by the way, and watching him coach was a dramatic experience for me because up to that point in my life, and I'd only experienced one kind of coaching. It's the Woody Hayes, you know, that kind of stuff. And my dad was that way. And, and yeah. it was just, but I'm watching Coach Wooden, and he was an exceptional leader, an exceptional teacher. And obviously, 10 national championships. Uh, he won two while I was there, his final two, number nine, number 10. So he and I spent a fair amount of time together for somebody who was not on the basketball team. It was, it was awesome. Right. So, so you, you go into USC and you put your whole system in uh, last year. I, I bet that was a lot to do, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm doing it now. I'm, I go there twice a month and um, spend several days and 
I do, I do whole team stuff. I do whole staff stuff. I do, I do, it's, I do one-on-ones. It's a, it's a, it's a 12 hour day. So I, it, or more, uh, and I love it. But I, I think the collegiate competitive environment is, a, is, a, is an awesome space. So walk our coaches through that process. Once, once you're engaged by uh, Lincoln Riley and USC, you go in there. What, what did that look like for the first 12 months? Uh, uh, you know, w- w- just walk us through that. Well, the, number one is to make sure that there's a crystal clear behavioral standards that are communicated. We call it a culture blueprint or a culture playbook mm-hmm. and make sure that, and, and that the, the, it has to be behavioral and it's gotta be, you can't just say we believe in toughness and we believe in teamwork and we believe in execution. Uh, you, you've got to make it behavioral. And what we've just discovered that in the last, like I say, four decades that when you say toughness, what, what is a relentless efforts term we use? What does that look like? What behaviorally? And then if you say execution. What does that look like? When you say trust and teamwork, what does that look like? What, here's what an athlete wants to know. What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. The standards have to be absolutely crystal clear. And then, then from there, once that gets put on paper, and we culture building, John, is, goes in three steps. And, and this was a big mess. My first message to USC a year ago, here's what I said to the players and the coaches. And I'd already done the work ahead of time with Lincoln in terms of what culture did he want to communicate. So we established the standards. And then, and then here's the culture process. Paper, head, heart. Mm-hmm. That's the culture. That's the culture journey. Right. Put it on paper to clarify it. You then to communicate it, how you get people's heads. They got to understand it, think about it, conceptualize it. You got to go from paper to head. It's got, there's got to be a thoughtfulness and, and guys got to think about it and challenge it and understand it. And that's a communication challenge. And then to go from the head to the heart is the biggest step and the hardest step in culture building. Because right. when it goes from the head to the heart, that's when it becomes culture. That's when it becomes the character of the players, the character of the coaches, and the culture of the team. And that distance from head to heart is a huge distance. Right, right. Because, because the only person who can put the beliefs on the heart of the player is the player, is the athlete. Right. It goes from I, a concept to a way of life, right? Uh, to, to a belief, actually. So, so I, I, here's my big statement. There's a profound difference between a concept in your head and a belief on your heart. Now, here's what's interesting, just little word stuff. We've all heard the term core values, right? Mm-hmm. John, the word core is Latin for heart. Mm-hmm. Coronary unit, mm-hmm. coronary bypass, it's Latin for heart. It's not culture till it's on the heart. I've seen so many people in my 40 years of consulting who professed belief in a, in, a, in a concept under pressure, they'll compromise. Yeah. But when it's on your heart, yeah. you're not going to compromise. So and, that, and, and, and John, also, culture and, and, and coaches and athletes understand this. It matters most in those tough times, right? When you've got to win that matchup, you've got to make that play, you've got to make that catch, you've got to make that throw. You, you got to win that last 30 meters of the race. You, you know, when you're training and you're tired and you're difficult, it matters. That's when it matters most. Not hard to, to espouse something when things are going well. What do you do when it gets tough, right? Right. You know, Tim, that is so interesting. So essentially, the head coach figures out exactly the culture that, that he wants or she wants, and then right. through your system – 
you you make that ultimately show up in their heart. Well, yeah, here's the thing that's really important. I don't build a culture for our athletic clients. I, 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 my job is to equip them to do it. Right, right. That's the key. That, the Bruins are, 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 are the best team in the regular season anyway, in, in the NHL today because the leaders of that team led and the players responded. And the coach created an environment that empowered the players to do that. I didn't right. do it. Right, right. You know, when, when Ohio State won the national championship in 2014, I, I was a teacher. I was a coach of this stuff, but I did, the, 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 the coaches did it. The players did it. And right. so this is a big message. My job is to equip and empower. And, right. then, and, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, I do a lot of after stuff, like after a game or after a practice or after a lift. And, you know, did, did you get the effort that you wanted? Did you get the execution you wanted? And if you did, awesome. Let's, let's make sure we repeat that then. If you didn't get that one, okay, what's the issue? Why didn't we get the effort that we wanted? Why doesn't the team work and trust where it needs to be? Why didn't we execute like we should? And by the way, at the end of the day, those are the three fundamental pillars of elite athletics. That trust and teamwork, relentless effort, and elite, elite execution. You, right. you, can cut, you can cut that all you want. You can call it whatever you want. But if you want to be great, you've got to have phenomenal trust and teamwork. You've got to have relentless effort, and you have to have elite execution. You do that, you're going to win a lot of championships. So not only does your system um, you know, create that, that culture in their heart, you also have a, a, feedback, a feedback mechanism that, that so you can see is this working or not working. That's part of the system, right? It is, and, and it comes down to uh, two things, and that is, well, three things. Um, number one is, and this is, this is, there's just no question about this in my mind, and that is what kind of trust relationship do the coaches have with the athletes? Mm-hmm. Because the, the highest levels of performance require the deepest levels of trust. We spend an enormous amount of time helping coaches build trust with their athletes and helping athletes build trust with each other and with their coaches. And we have a system, a tr- trust triad, to get all the details of it, but, but that's enormous. It's just huge. And athletes are crying out for deep relationships with, um, among, among their teams and teammates and with their coaches. And you've got to make sure that trust relationship is there. You can only push an athlete as far as a level of trust you've built with her or with him. And if you push hard without trust, you create resistance. Yeah, yeah. And so in, in your second year with USC, what are you now trying to do? You, I assume you set the foundation in year one, and now you're refining the foundation. Is that, is that right? Yep. So we're going back, and we've pretty much uh, – they just finished their spring game, and we've, we've – We've revisited what we taught last year. And, and there's stuff during the season, by the way, that we do that's, that's, uh, that's we, that, that we sustain stuff, right? And so we, we, and we're we, – and new guys have come in through transfer and, and, and high school kids. So we've, we've reestablished, recall, remember, do some exercises. Now what we're working on real, real hard is, in fact, trust and what we call belief. They're, so they're working hard on the trust piece of, of their culture and of, of, of their team. And we're about to launch into the power of belief, which is another mental piece, right? What can you, you practice and play with confidence? And right. confidence is Latin for with belief. Fide means belief. Con means with. Confidence is with belief. With belief. And I understand the science and the art of belief. And I've got that on a deliverable, and it's a series of stops. 
I teach it to the coaches, I teach it to the players, and they've got to cultivate that confidence and cultivate that belief, belief in yourself, belief in your team. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I love and, it. It's one of my favorite topics to teach. Right, right. And essentially, you're, you're basically taking the assistant coaches and, and teaching them the system, and they teach it to the players. Is that essentially 100%. how it works? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's based on a, uh, that's based on a, a principle called small unit cohesion. Mm-hmm. Assistant coaches have more touch points with players than the head coach typically does. Right, right. And so when you do this in small units, then you're able to really get a lot of, of dynamic and interaction and, and really move the needle. And so everybody matters. There's no question about it. Um, interestingly enough, at USC, when I do a whole staff uh, sessions, training sessions, everyone program is there. Everyone. Nutrition, strength and conditioning, training staff, football coaches, GAs, analysts, everyone is there. Right. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. And so what is the tangible difference you see today versus at, with the USC players versus when you met them at the inception? What, what's the difference you see? So one of, the, one of the mental performance standards that we've uncovered in our research is something that we give it a name. It's called the edge. Mm-hmm. And the edge is an actual place in an athlete's development where if you imagine a circle, John, this is where you are now. This is where you want to be, what's possible. And then there's a line of training. So you're training to move from where you are to what's possible in terms of your ability to perform and to execute and to compete and to win. And along that, along that line, you're training, you're building uh, the skill, right? Stamina, skill, strength, speed, flexibility. Along the way, you get to a place where your talent runs out. Mm-hmm. And that spot we call the edge. Mm-hmm. And one of the most fascinating things about development is that every athlete, like if, the, if your coaches at Texas are going to hear this conversation, I can say directly to every coach who hears this, that the coach, the players that you coach are capable of building skill. They don't have talent for or, or another way to say it is they, they're able to take their current skill level and go to a whole nother level, which is what we're after as coaches, right? We develop. Right. But here's the thing about the edge. The edge marks the place where talent stops and toughness begins, where talent stops and elite begins. We have, I believe this. Talent's a gift. Elite is a choice. Talent is a gift. Elite is a choice. Talent is a gift that you get from genetics. Skill is something you, de- you develop through training. They're not the same. We right. all have met, we've met athletes that have lots of talent that didn't perform equal to their talent. They they didn't maximize the potential. So at the edge, here's what we've discovered. It, there are five decisions an athlete needs to make to get a breakthrough at the edge to go to the next level. And here are their decisions. Mm-hmm. No talent required. Every walk-on, every first year, every three-star, four-star, five-star, everyone is capable of making the five decisions. Now, they don't all make it, but they can. And each coach has to make the decision. It's not just for athletes. Coaches have edges too. So here, here, here are the edge. Here's the decisions, the five choices to become an elite performer at whatever you do. Number one is be relentless in your focus and effort. Relentless in your focus and effort. When I say relentless and focus, I mean you focus on what matters and you filter out what doesn't. And you're relentless about that. Mm-hmm. And then effort is you're always going to be working. You're relentless. You just don't stop. 
Okay, that's, that's number one. Number two, embrace productive discomfort. The edge is uncomfortable by design. It's a whole nother level or a whole nother skill. It is uncomfortable by design. Elite competitors love the discomfort at the edge. They love it. They don't tolerate the discomfort. They embrace it. They don't resist it. They embrace it. Number three, use mistakes as fear. You're going to make mistakes at the edge. Why? It's a new skill or a new level of skill. You're going to make mistakes. Make them and learn and go. Fail forward, fail frequently, and go. Mm -hmm. And a little hint to coaches. If you're always coming down on athletes all the time for making mistakes, you're creating a culture of fear, not a culture of belief. Yeah. And a culture of belief will always outperform a culture of fear. That's a side note for some other time. So use mistakes as feedback. The, the next one is defeat fear. Say defeat, that again. Defeat fear. Okay. Or any other disruptive emotion. I, I, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the vast majority of athletes I've worked with over 40 years, the number one emotion that they struggle with is some degree of anxiety or fear. Fear of what? Ah, uh, that's the question. Great. A lot of different things. Fear of failure. Mm -hmm. Fear of letting their parents down. Fear of not living up to an image that they have of themselves, others have of them. Fear of losing. Fear. Fear, right. of, fear is, a, is, a, is a toxic thing, man. And you've got to be very careful. And then the fifth one is be coachable. Be wow. coachable. And what we discovered is elite athletes, we define coachability as the eagerness to receive feedback and instruction without getting defensive or making excuses. So when you put those five decisions together and you get a preponderance, you get a critical mass, you get a bunch of players making these five decisions, relentless focus and effort, embracing productive discomfort, using mistakes as feedback, defeating fear and being coachable, holy smokes what you can achieve. No so, what we, so what we see now is as a whole bunch of, uh, and, I, and I love year two with the team, because guess who's teaching this to the new guys? The old guys. Bit, Exactly. A little bit of me and a whole lot of the older guys. Yeah. This is how we do things around here. And we're all learning how to do it. And I, and I love, I love the, uh, I, I, call, I make a distinction between a big ego and a strong ego. Um, big ego, not so good. Strong ego, fantastic. And so the, the guys at USC are hungry, hungry, hungry. But they're also coachable. And they want to be coached. And, and, uh, and I love that about them. Right. Well, Tim, you know, I think one of the things that, I mean, I am totally impressed by your your definition of those five things because I think you, in a way, have defined what mental strength uh, and mental conditioning really is in a way that I hadn't heard it described before. And so I'm, I'm curious, scale of one to 10, when you took over the USC program, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't take it over. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a contributor. When you were contributing to it as you came, came in, scale of 1 to 10, where was the team in terms of mental toughness and where are they today, if you had to quantify it? Uh, they, were, they were very low. Right. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to give proprietary information out at all. I'm very sensitive about that, but man, oh, man. Well, see, I'm but, trying to pry it out of you. Yeah, I know. But, but I'm just saying, but the, the, I mean, obviously, what were they, four and eight, the, the previous coach's final year? USC? Right. right. Four and eight? USC? Come on. So, yeah. And, and, what, and, so, and what were they last year? 
Oh uh, gosh, what twelve and three? Right. Yeah. Well, that, so, you know that says something about the the mental state before and after you, didn't it? Yeah, and a lot of people. I mean, this is the thing too. I I I fully understand. Again, like I said, I I'm a catalyst. I'm an educator. I'm a coach. I'm a catalyst, and 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 it's really important to me to build a great relationship with the staff, so that I can really help them be the best possible coaches they can be. I say this all the time to coaches. All, I say it's to CEOs. I say it to CFOs. I say it to CO, I say it to UFOs if I need to. Is that don't ask your players to go on a journey that you're not on yourself. Right. John, a leader is somebody going on a journey and taking people with them. That's a leader. Going on a journey and taking people with them. Yeah. And, and, and when, when, I think one of the things that's been significant at USC – as the players have seen the coaches get better at what they do, mm -hmm. which motivates the players to get better at what they do. Right. What, what's the biggest challenge in, with athletes today relative to the mental side of the game? Every athlete, and your coaches already know this, uh, every athlete has her or his own background and their own journey that they have been on and are on now, family background, socioeconomic background, um, their own emotional profile, uh, their habits, their patterns, et cetera. And every athlete's very, very different. And the, the, the job of a coach is to, to, to be a little bit of a psychologist, to get in there, and help understand that mindset of each athlete, you know, what, what, what family structure they come from, what kind of friends, are they, who are they hanging out with away from the facility, and are they involved in things they should or shouldn't be involved in? Um, and who are they listening to with their circle of friends? And so, um, you know, each athlete has his own mental profile or her own mental profile. And, you know, some are more disciplined, some are less disciplined. Some have more anxiety, some have less anxiety. Some know how to trust and build a relationship. Some are standoffish, don't know how to do it. Some are arrogant, self-centered, and don't receive feedback or coaching roles. Some are hungry and want it. Some love the hard work and the make it harder, coach. Some resist it. So it's really a a, uh, a wonderful opportunity to. And this is why the relationships are so important. You've got to know each individual athlete. So I don't know if that that's clear what I just yeah. said, but I mean, I spend a lot of one on one time with USC players a lot. Does USC have speakers come in every so often? I mean, Lincoln is so funny. I. Lincoln said he will never, ever go do that again. Like the people that come in to speak now are just, you know, like a former player or whatever, but he doesn't, he's done with that. He's no, he's no longer going to have, you know, just that speaker thing. And it's, it's, it comes in, he talks. I'll say he's a great speaker. Okay. And everybody's jazzed about it. And the coaches don't do anything to execute. Yeah. There's no system to put into practice. What message have you sent to the kids, to the players? It was right. just a speech. It doesn't really matter. We're not going to use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. You, you listen to Lincoln Riley talk right now. Yeah. One quarter of everything he says, or, or, and, and I tell him, don't quote me. Don't say, as Tim Kite says, and, right. and, and that does happen from time to time, but it was TK's talk. But no, I said, own it, coach. My, right. my stuff, my, there is not a day that goes by where people don't, at USC, strength coaches, assistant coaches, and Lincoln, there's not a day goes by where, where a principle that I've taught isn't communicated 10, 15, 20 times inside that facility.
Right. Constant, 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 constant. It's reps. And I know back in your Ohio State days, you met Urban back right like 2013. Is that right? Yes. And so you put your system in and how many national championships did you win at Ohio he, State? One. One. Okay. Bunch okay. of Big Ten championships, uh, one national championship, other playoff appearances. I think Urban's favorite other than the national championship is he was 7-0 against team up is what they how they call Michigan. So he was undefeated against Michigan. I know he's most, most proud of that. But right. Uh, well, you yeah, know, so your your reputation precedes you to have all that success at uh, Ohio State and then now going over to USC. You know, one thing I want to I want to share with you that I think you'll find interesting. I want to play a clip for you. This is a clip from right before this past year's uh, national championship game. And they're talking to Sonny Dykes at uh, TCU. And then, then after he says what he says, then they turn it over to Kirby Smart. Listen to this. I think uh, you'll find this pretty darn interesting. Here's Molly with Sonny Dykes. Coach, everyone outside of your locker room calls you an underdog. Why can your team win here today? Well, you know, we believe we can. I think most importantly, we've got a talented football team that believes in each other and has worked incredibly hard. So, you know, we feel like we match up well, and we're excited to go compete against the best. All right, thank you, Coach. Now let's go to Holly Rowe. Well, Coach Smart, a back-to-back championship is rare in this sport. What do you need to see from your team early, particularly as you start on defense right now? Aggression. That's it? That's what we want to do. We're we're, we're going to hunt tonight. We're going to do the best we can to hunt tonight. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. Short, simple answer. They feel like they have been the hunted as defending champions. They want to do the hunting tonight. Well, that one word summed up the energy and the vibe around the Georgia team, I'm sure. So what do you, what do you think about that? What's your impression of that? Well, first of all, I want to wish you had played some of the Jimi Hendrix music that was on the screen there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, we can do I guess, that later. I get football all the time. So, well, you're going to have to pardon my X's and O's uh, thing, but the real national championship game was Ohio State versus Georgia. That was the national championship game. Yeah, right. And those teams both, that was a heavyweight battle. And I'm, you know, I've, there's still a lot of my stuff at Ohio State. And in fact, I'll be meeting with Ryan later this week in Columbus. But, um, and, and what Georgia knew, because they studied the film, that's it. Georgia absolutely knew that we're going to go and hunt TCU and we're going to crush them. And they knew they could because they watched the film. And they, right. knew, the, they knew the mismatches and they knew the opportunities. And, uh, and I, I love what Kirby said, let's go hunting. Um, right. That was not exactly the mindset against Ohio State. And against Ohio State, it was a back-and-forth battle as – you know, but but against TCU, it was a mismatch, and they knew it. And the weapons were on this. They were they were hunters with the weapons, and the other team didn't have the weapons to withstand it. So, I he got it. He understood it. He knew his opponent. He knew his team. He had a strategy. He knew he had. I, I love the one word, the one word aggression, and then the slight description. We're going to go hunting. I, that was that was just a great uh, message to his team that that you know, put that laser beam focus on what they need to do to, to defeat DCU. 
you know, it, it really was such a laser focus and, and reflects this idea of being at the top of your game mentally because as good as Sonny Dykes is, and, you know, he's, he's like talking about how they've worked hard and all that, then you compare it to Kirby Smart going, you know, it's all about aggression. We're going hunting. You just feel the difference in mental attitude, and you know that permeates to every player on the yeah. team, right? Well, I think, you know, those, those are a little bit difficult to necessarily extrapolate what really went on. But here's what I sense from that quote, from that, 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 uh, that video that, or the audio that you shared. Sonny Dykes gave like a generic, you know, whatever. Yeah. What, what Kirby shared is what he would told his team in the locker room, what he told him in practice. So, you know, it was like it, it, it was – you got more of like a generic answer from Sonny. You got a very specific answer from, from uh, Kirby. And you know that's – like I go back to when Ohio State played Oregon at the national championship of 2014, uh, we had a very, very specific message. And then, and then we organized our practice around those messages. And, and it's – now, laser is interesting. I want to take this analogy because it's something that when it comes to focus and relentless focus – People have a misunderstanding sometimes about what a laser is. And it's a great illustration, John, for what we all need to do as coaches working with ourselves and our teams. The laser is not the beam. The laser is the mechanism that creates the beam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I will say, hey, that's a laser. And I know we're referencing the laser beam. But technically, the, the beam is what's created by the laser mechanism. And what's interesting about a laser, and I use this illustration all the time, a laser has precision and power. And that's why laser focus is, is so important in athletics. Precision, it will do eye surgery. Mm -hmm. Or it will guide a missile. Or it can guide a, you know, a weapon. Power, it'll cut through steel. So you can adjust your laser. And you think about a team with a laser focus. What does it have? Precision and power. Right. What team does not want precision and power? So my right. question is, for every coach is, if the laser is the mechanism that creates the beam, what's the laser mechanism in your program? What's the mechanism that you use to create the precision and power necessary to win championships? And the answer to that is called leadership. Right, right. Wow, that's powerful. Well, you know, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is, is something I find just fascinating. The purpose of college is to help young people be prepared for creating success in the real world. The only problem is it doesn't do it. And I say that as a professor at the University of Texas. And, and what I am so incredibly proud of the University of Texas for, and this is happening at Ohio State as well, some of the other big programs, is the athletic programs are taking it on their shoulders yes. to prepare their athletes for being successful in the real world. And, you know, one of the things I see as I've just gotten into this over the last year or so is I see that today the big programs are focused primarily on teaching these athletes as they're entering the real world how to, how to do a resume, how to dress for success, a, a little financial literacy. But from my standpoint, and I think because you and I are so much alike in in this this mental stuff that I'm like, boy, it looks to me like that's just 
touching the surface. Other 95% is teaching them leadership of self, which is uh, always having the attitude that you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. It's it's personal responsibility, which means never being a victim and and always accepting your your responsibility for changing your behaviors if you don't like the results. Uh, do you see it the same way? And, and talk about this whole idea of, of the big schools taking on that challenge you know, of preparing athletes for the real world. Well, I 100% believe that. And I, you know, E plus R equals O is the, is the uh, number of things athletes take with them when they leave school uh, that, that we teach. And, and E plus R equals O is at the top of the list. And I have a regular pinging either DM on Twitter or LinkedIn or a direct email or athletes that have my phone number or text me, thanks, Coach Kite or TK. They call me different things. You could call me Grandpa, too, because i got four <laughs> grandkids. But, but uh, thank you so much. Now that I'm working for such, such a place, I use E plus R equals O every single day. I've had athletes now come back because they have married. i got kids. Um, we use it. it it's, it. it's really, really cool to see that. And 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 I and I and we do that. We help them. This is E plus R equals O is the way the world works. To your point, right? And right. It's, all, it's all about taking ownership of your response. And if you're not getting the outcome that you want, you're not a victim. Um, you know, it's your your now things happen and there's adversity and adversity is painful. But we've given you tools to help navigate that. And I, I what Urban did at Ohio State, I have tremendous respect for. We called it Real Life Wednesdays. And every single week, we trained the athletes at, at Ohio State football on some aspect of life following football. And it wow. was in-depth. It was politics. It was sex stuff. It was drug stuff. It was monetary stuff. It was you know, how to get a job. And, and we, I mean, we trained them. And we brought in people to speak. These were experts on these topics. And it was not football-related. It, it was not about execution. It was not about effort. It was about life following football. And then right. at the end of the year, we had a job fair where companies wow. throughout Ohio and the Midwest would come and every athlete got a suit, a resume, and a business card. And now that has now expanded into a athletic department-wide massive opportunity for all these athletes. And Urban was very clear. He said, Do, if you graduate, I don't care if you're walk-on or, or, or five-star whatever, you know, if you're going to, you go to the league at some point, you're going to stop playing football. You've got to be ready. Want to make sure we've done everything in our power to make sure that you have the tools that you need to success, to succeed in life after football. And but, but, no holds barred on that one. It was great. But, but don't you see, I mean, this is, this is how I see it. And again, I am totally proud of, of how the University of Texas is embracing this, but it seems like as it's just now evolving, there's so much more in this area of, of leadership of self, which, which is essentially what you're teaching, right? Well, I e, mean, yeah, e, e plus R equals O is fundamentally manage yourself, own yourself, lead yourself. Right. That is, that's what it is. is you, you're gonna, we, we have athletes identify the event. <laughs> I can't give details on this, but there's a workshop that we do with the athletes is Give me academic events you struggle with. Give me athletic events you struggle with. And give me social events you struggle with. And then remember what you said, discipline over default. Right. So here's an E. Then here's a default R that doesn't work, produces a bad O. Right. Take ownership of yourself. When this E happens, what should you do to get the O that you want? We are relentless about coaching that, John. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of, of the coaches really – 
teach leadership of self. At, at the at the end of the day, they may not call it that, but you know, they're they're teaching. Uh, kids how to put in the work. They're teaching kids how to perform under pressure. Those are the same exact things that are going to happen in the in the real world. That's correct. And, you know, what I see evolving with the uh, athletic programs embracing this, like here at Texas, we have an entity called Forever Texas that accepts this challenge to prepare the athletes for the real world. And so we're taking, my vision is to help Forever Texas take this idea that that the the coaches have already laid the foundation of leadership of self, and now let's take it to the next level up and apply it to business and in life. And so I think there's such an opportunity for us in uh, in this area to to make a difference in these these athletes' lives in a way that the the colleges themselves can't do it because for a variety of reasons, a lot of bureaucracy, but you know, there's way less bureaucracy when, when you're within say the athletic program to, to do things that are like what we're talking about. Do you agree with all that? I, absolutely. Yeah. The conversations that I have with athletes and things we help them do, you're right. It's, it's self-ownership, self-management, self-leadership. And they, they, we talk about this stuff that, that at the end of the day is the difference-making stuff. There's no question about it. I'm, I agree 100% with you, John. Well, you know, Tim, this has been great, fabulous. I'm so glad we did this. So, so let's stay connected. And I know you already have a lot of fans at the University of Texas, so they're going to love hearing from you. Appreciate you having me. Hey, coaches, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Tim really gave us some great pearls of wisdom. And let me share with you what I think the top three takeaways were. First, didn't you find it interesting the five decisions every athlete has to make to go to the next level? The first one is relentless focus and effort. Then embrace the discomfort. Then use mistakes as feedback. Then the fourth is defeat fear. And lastly, be coachable. Think about this. How can you use that with your athletes? The second takeaway is the idea of the edge, where talent stops and elite performance begins. Remember when Tim said that training will only take you to a certain point. The edge is where your talent runs out. Going past the edge is actually uncomfortable. It's where athletes are capable of building skills they don't have the talent for. Let me say that again. The edge is where athletes are capable of building skills they don't have the talent for. Think about that. Might be a powerful concept to convey to your athletes. What do you think? And then the final takeaway, a quick story. After this interview, a few weeks later, I went to Florida to hang out with Tim Kite. And I asked him a very simple question. Why did Lincoln Riley, when he took over the USC program, bring you in with him. He said that when he got to USC, he saw how screwed up the mental side of the game was at USC. Lincoln said even when he was at Oklahoma, he just couldn't get player buy-in into the culture at a deep enough level, as deep as he wanted. He realized he needed a system, and Tim Kite had a system. That's what separates Tim from every other sports psychologist. 
And as you heard in the interview, here's Tim's system. The first step is the head coach defines what he or she wants in their culture. The head coach defines it in very specific terms and puts it on paper. Then what he or she says is converted into the Tim Kite psychological system using their unique nomenclature that everyone will understand. The next step is communication to the assistant coaches. They think about it and understand it deeply. Then the culture is introduced to the players by the assistant coaches. This gets the cultures in the players' heads. But then the hardest part, getting the culture into the hearts of the players. That happens from relentless repetition of the culture buzzwords and everyone living the culture. Once the culture is in the heart, that's when it actually becomes the culture. That's when the desired behaviors become automatic. Pretty interesting, right? If any coach wants to connect with Tim Kite, let me know. I'll be glad to make the introduction. So next, we're going to hear from Darren Hardy regarding the legendary coach, Bill Walsh. He talks about how Walsh retired from coaching in his prime because he took losses so hard. It took all the fun out of the game. Listen for the better alternative. I was rereading some excerpts from Bill Walsh's great leadership book titled The Score Takes Care of Itself. For those who might be unfamiliar, Bill Walsh is one of the greatest uh, coaches in NFL history. He took over the San Francisco 49ers when they were the worst team in NFL with a 2-14 record and in two years turned them into the best team in the NFL, winning the Super Bowl. He went on to turn the 49ers into a dynasty, winning six division titles, three NFC championship titles, and three Super Bowls. Coach Walsh not only built a winning team, he also developed eight future head coaches who then produced another 35 future NFL head coaches. He was a leader of leaders. The excerpt that stuck out to me this read through though is why Bill decided to leave his leadership position at the height of his career. It is a, actually a tragic lesson to learn. It is when Bill stopped abiding by the title of his book. Instead, Bill started to define himself and his self-worth on winning. Losing, he said, can become so psychologically crippling that winning offers little solace and no cause for celebration because you've imposed an internal accounting system on yourself that awards zero points for winning and minus points for losing. In that calculation, you can never get ahead on points. That's exactly what happened to me, he said. He goes on to say, when this happens, any kind of loss, mistake, or setback becomes very disturbing even devastating, because you're attached your self-image to the results of the competition. Winning can become insidious for the same reason. That is, you allow the victory to begin to determine your self-worth and how you feel about yourself. Either way, you are putting yourself on a very slippery slope when you start believing that the outcome of your effort represents or embodies who you really are as a person, what your values are as a person. I speak from personal experience, he confessed. So what does the hard-driving and relentlessly success-seeking striver do instead, you might ask? Coach Walsh advises to be, quote, aggressively looking for the positive elements, however small, that can dilute the toxic pressure of personalizing the result by allowing you to take pride in your strategies, your tactics, your efforts, and even the execution 
when they don't produce victory every time. In other words, go back to the joy of the journey, the pride of the process, the love of the art in making small, progressive improvements in how you do everything better every day. Bill, who passed away too early, only 75 years old, two years before his book would be published, in fact, revealed, I was increasingly unable to do this. Consequently, during my 10th season with the 49ers, I had to get out. He was only 57 years old at the time. Had I been able to avoid the dead-end calculation of zero points for winning mindset, he said, I would have continued to coach the 49ers, and I believe we would have won additional Super Bowl championships. That is something that has never stopped eating at me. But by the end, I wasn't even thinking straight. So then, with the wisdom of hindsight and perspective, later in his life, what would Bill advise us to do to avoid this insidious trap that he fell into? Number one, avoid the destructive temptation to define yourself as a person by the one lost record, the quote unquote score, however you define that. Don't equate you or your team's one lost record with your self-worth. Instead, take pride in your day over day execution excellence and the joyful never ending pursuit of becoming better every day. Or as Bill put it in his standard of performance doctrine, exhibit a ferocious and intelligently applied work ethic directed at continual improvement. Number two, when you do lose, shake it off. Bud Grant, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings for 18 seasons, who lost four Super Bowls, said, I've got a 24-hour rule. You only let it bother you for 24 hours, and then it's over. One of the common traits of outstanding performers, be it coaches, athletes, managers, sales representatives, executives, and others who face daily up-down, win-loss accounting systems, is that a rejection, that is, a defeat, is quickly forgotten, replaced eagerly by the pursuit of a new order, a new client, or new opponent. Right, Julie? They know that a defeat, whether a lost account or a loss on the field, can't be taken personally. Like Bud Grant, they shake it off and go forward. I can tell you firsthand, my A-team and I set big, hairy, and audacious goals. Sometimes we hit them, sometimes we significantly exceed them, and sometimes we come up short. I don't really have an attachment to any one of those three results. Oh sure, we work like the Dickens to hit or exceed our goals, but if we have given our best effort, if we have left it all on the field, then it's all good. Playing is what's fun. The stakes of winning or losing is just what makes the game fun and exciting. Either way, we played full out, improved ourselves in the process, and had fun playing the game. Do you understand that? Can you get your head around this? Hey look, unless you're performing brain surgery or running an ER, what you do is just a game anyway. No one's gonna die if you lose, so lighten up. How sad would it be to play and not have fun? To be tortured all along the way instead, to have the idea of losing be so devastating that it becomes crippling, a constant anxiety-filled torture where winning means little more than delaying the pain of losing perpetually, turning to the next game and the next one and the next one, each offering no more than the opportunity to postpone the awful feelings that accompany defeat while doing nothing to remove the fear of it. Don't live like that. Don't pursue success like that. Win or lose, as long as you improve, you have won. Go for your goals with all your might. But instead of defining success by win or loss, define success by the progressive realization of becoming better every day. And have fun along the way. 
It's a gay man. And then it's over. Coaches, now that was interesting, wasn't it? Coach Waltz found losing so painful that it took all the joy out of winning. He got into literally a no-win situation. Didn't you find it interesting where he talked about his internal system of measuring, which essentially gave zero points for winning and negative points for losing? So here's the three takeaways. First, focus on the process, not the scoreboard. You can't attach your self-image and self-worth to the results. That inevitably is a no-win situation. The second takeaway is shake off losses quickly. What do you think about the 24-hour rule? And then the third takeaway is make your standard be doing your best. Hold yourself to that rigid standard and then enjoy the game you love. Until next time, hook up.